Two. Chris, you rolled a two. The topic we'll be discussing today is how do you design your ses- sessions to give players opportunities to show off? Ooh, players are supposed to show off? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I look forward to learning what this means. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, right, we, we rolled on our table, and I really like this topic a lot, and I'm excited to talk about it. But before we get into all that, Andy, there's something that I wanted to bring up. I'm going to call you out, but I'm going to call me out too. Right. <laughs> so I don't think either of us have actually run a game in a while. And uh, for those who are listening outside of maybe like our, our normal release schedule, so we're still smack dab in the middle of a pandemic. Um, the school year is about to start or has started for all of us um, as well. So it's a little bit of a busy time in our lives, but um, gaming just doesn't seem to really be a part of that these <laughs> days. <laughs> and if you're um, listening and it's the year like 2038 and there's yeah. still a pandemic, uh, yeah. I'm real. I guess I'm just really sorry. If you could yeah. come back in time and let us know or something. <laughs> It's probably our fault. So. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, I, so I wanted to bring this up because it's something that I've been thinking about actually just, just quite a bit is like there is this part of my my life that I feel like I'm not really getting to do, which that's true for a lot of us during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, especially since we have a podcast that's nominally about, you know, how to run these things, not getting the chance to run them is a little demoralizing at least. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks ago at my office, we did a virtual hangout session where we ended up actually playing a board game, um, which was just amazing right it was the first game that i played in a little bit like i also have a three and a half month month old at home as well so that that complicates matters as well <laughs> but um yeah just getting a chance to even like play a game was really great and reminded me like oh yes i need to make this a part of my life um in some way um yeah so i'm curious i guess like when's the last time you've run a game it's funny because before uh we met up to do the recording this has been on my mind quite a bit especially in the last week it just seems to have kind of come home for some reason but mm-hmm. it's been like a full 2 months since i've run a role playing game mm-hmm. and even back then it was running stuff for like my kids which is still you know a, that's a real gaming experience but it is a pretty far cry from, you know, getting together with the usual gang and, um, you know, spending a couple of hours on a Friday night or whatever playing. So yeah. it has been a couple of months and you said demoralizing, which is exactly what it is. <laughs> I go by the game shelf and I see these books and I want to run them and I I flip through it. I've been reading a couple of them, but um, I know that uh, people are making really good use of the online format for playing games and that's fantastic, but... I don't know. I guess my enthusiasm level for that is fairly low, uh, yeah. but I don't know how else to kind of get things going again. Uh, yeah. And I guess like lately I've been thinking of must sending an email to the D&D group saying, hey, can we figure something out? And I don't know if that means just we all have masks yeah. or we have to play out on the back porch in the open air or what. But um, I don't know. Something's got to change. <laughs> Yeah, I've been thinking about that that backyard thing as well. So my wife had some of her friends over a month ago or so, and they all brought card tables, and so we just they just set them up in the backyard. So they they were you know ten feet apart from everybody, but there's five or six of them back there. Yeah, and it worked out pretty well, right? Um, you know, I'm lucky to have a backyard that we can do that, and especially with the weather turning, it's not as hot and all, all that. So I'm really giving some serious thought to rounding up a couple of people and just saying like, come on over, let's just do a one shot. 
or something like that and seeing if, if that can work well, um, you know, sitting and sitting that far apart. For me, part of like playing games is the sitting around the table aspect of it and yeah. really sort of sharing that communal experience like in the same space as each other. So like online's fine, but I would you know, rather do it in person. So if there's some way to make it happen outside, I think that'd be great. One of the things that one of the things that's a little unfortunate is the games I'm most interested in playing or running right now have some sort of physical element to them that makes mm. playing at the table just a much more appealing prospect. Like, yes. uh, you know, they might maybe they, they use special dice with cool symbols on them that you piece together or they have some sort of gameplay element that really calls for being at the table with people. I mean, I suppose it's. I could just not play those games, which is certainly always an option. But with Halloween coming up, I, mm. I have been thinking a lot. I really don't like to let Halloween go by without running something, uh, doing yeah. some sort of Halloween game, even if it's not really a horror game, although it might be. Um, mm-hmm. So I've just been thinking about that. And by then it'll be too cold here in the Midwest to play out in the backyard, probably. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, we're quickly running out of time. <laughs> For that, yeah. You know, the one thing that I've been thinking about is doing something thematic with with like a fire pit involved in the middle, the middle of the play session as mm. well, because you know then you could have that built in warmth, and then especially with Halloween, right? There's a ton of things you could do, yeah, with the fire pit as the centerpiece. But I mean, I think you bring up a really good point that often having that shared, even just physical space where you can all be looking at the same thing is helpful for for games. Um, so if you remove that, right, you got to play theater of the mind or, or play just different games entirely do you have a game that you're thinking you might run this halloween or are you still on the lookout for it well the game that i am most interested in running this halloween is the uh, alien role-playing game Mm, and that that falls into the category of it just i feel like it will work a lot better in person it uses Mm -hmm. dice with cool symbols on it um there are like playing cards involved there are playing cards and stuff involved not so much that you couldn't run it online but it's cool. It seems like it would add to the experience. You know, yeah. I guess I'd rather have my first experience with the Alien RPG V1 where we use all of the, like, yeah. doodads that come with it. So, uh, of course. I would love to run uh, a game of Alien over Halloween. And I have a number of friends, I think, that would be into that. It's just a matter of uh, figuring out how to make it work. Yeah, yeah. How about That's you? Is Halloween gaming cool. on your radar? Or, I mean, do you, do you think of Halloween as like, ooh, Halloween, it's time for the annual Halloween game? <laughs> you know, a little bit, you know, I've run a couple of Halloween specific games and they've always been, been fun, at least for me, I think for, for players as well. Um, I did a, a kids on bikes. Um, that was a really fun Halloween um, game to play. I don't know. Like the more that I think about it, I think I, I do want to try something for that. And it, it'd be nice. It, it's nice to have sort of these holidays that you can center stuff around too. I think because then people are a little bit more open to just like, Oh, I'll just come, you know, come and try that. Yeah. That one shot or whatever, um, for it. So I think, yeah, I might have to plan just like a D and D one shot that can work well as a, a Halloween game in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just like get the people together and then figure out what it's going to be after the, after the fact, Yeah. <laughs> rather than trying to get the, the perfect plan together. Cause I think, I think with anything, Right, like whenever you invite people over to your house to play a game anyway, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. Like, well, is this going to work? You know, if people have to cancel all that. Right. You know, but I think if, especially if you're adding in the mix of like, well, if it's going to rain, then we have to reschedule you know, those sorts of things. Yep. Too. It's a, just a different consideration. Yeah. My, my backup choice for Halloween would be just D&D. And that's something I feel pretty, mm-hmm. I would be able to run online. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I guess I'll throw out a recommendation to you that you consider uh, the Curse of Strahd as, um, Ooh. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, 
a good Halloween themed thing, but more importantly, it's uh it's easily breakable down into like one shots. Like there's it's okay. there's a bunch of different encounters of varying levels, and uh, if you have a copy of the book or if you're able to uh, get access to it, mm-hmm. it's like it's pretty good. If you don't want to roll your own, uh, you know, do yeah. Anything, so. That's really good to know. Yeah, I, I, I think I assumed that you had to run the whole campaign. But is there, I mean, I know there's like the Death House at the beginning, which I've heard mixed reviews on. Yeah. And are there other other sections of that that can be run? Yeah, well, it's more of a, I guess what you call a sandbox than some of the other published 5e campaigns are. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a script, the kind of canned adventure at the beginning to drop you into the horror realm. And then mm-hmm. Strahd's Castle is kind of a very large adventure location but in between there's a lot of stuff that you can just encounter if you go to the right place and those are the sorts of things you could pull out a thing for a one shot you could even so strad's castle would work pretty well for like repeated forays into it so you could Uh even if you wanted to roll up some maybe medium or higher level characters you could do like a you know a raid on strad's castle which Ooh. would not give players time or the opportunity, you know, to explore it in depth. But if the the purpose of it is to go in quick and get out before Strahd, you know, finds you, that yeah. could make a pretty tense Halloween game, I think. Yeah, go like steal his his heart that's located in some treasure chest somewhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think what we both really want is just a Castlevania one shot. Yes, yes, you read, yeah. you read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, good times. Right, well, let's let's dive into our topic. Um, yeah, thank you for um, going for for admitting that we haven't played a game in a while. Yes. on air. But maybe we'll go back and we'll change it. And it's like it's been one week and I feel bad. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the topic we rolled was yeah. How do you design your sessions to give players opportunities to show off? And I think this is this is a really good. I think like a good topic for for role for topic, right? Because I think. It, all the GMs that we've had on, I think we we also fall into this category. We're not combative GMs, like right, like we're not trying to win D and D. We're not trying to you know beat the players that sort of things. Like you know when we're sitting down to play, I think like we're coming from the default assumption of we're having a shared sort of fun narrative that's happening, no matter what the the session is, uh, you know what what the game is. So to that to that end, right, you can you can design your sessions to give players these like these interesting ways to show off and you know like you know show off their characters and those sorts of things so um all that to say do you have anything that you're thinking about immediately like any kind of story about uh, a chance that you gave a player well uh i hope that i don't rain on this parade right up front here but uh mm-hmm. this is an interesting topic but it's partly interesting to me because i don't really think about this in the way that this uh, topic has it oh. worded the idea of like players showing off Allow me to put on my like old school hat. It's <laughs> it's not an idea that was expressed in that way for an awful lot of like D and D's history, for example. It's not that uh, when I'm designing an encounter, I'm not giving some thought to how will this the features of this encounter interact with the abilities and the characteristics of the players. It's not that I don't think about that, but I have to say I don't really think how can I design this in such a way to make sure that players can really well show off. Again, I don't think I I don't think I disagree or have a problem with this yeah. in any fundamental way, but let's talk about it a bit. What do you hear when you hear the words players showing off? 
Yeah, when when I think about that, I think about giving giving players just the the chance to use the the things that make their players their characters unique. So, for example, if you have someone in your group that's an archer, this means that you occasionally have an enemy in there that like can only be hit with a bow and arrow. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Like it's got to be a ranged attack because it's flying around really fast. You know, so those are the sorts of things that I'm thinking about. You know, like when you're designing encounters or even just like yeah, designing locations and things like that is like. Yeah, or like you know a magic item that they have in their inventory that they've been thinking about and asking about. It's like, okay, like let's just make sure that there's a way for them to use that in this area. Well, I can't say that I think too much about that. Um, okay. Which, yeah, I mean... This I'm, is great then. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, so why, why don't you think about that? <laughs> so when I'm building encounters, and this is the, you know, this is maybe the old school D&D role master um, mm-hmm. person. Actually actually probably comes more from having my formative gaming be in the old Middle Earth game. When I am designing an encounter and adventure, foremost in my mind is what is the most uh, likely or, quote, realistic or the most appropriate way for this uh, situation to have been set up by the people running it or living in it. So let's say whatever. Let's say we have a network of caves that, like some generic, something. We have a network of yeah. caves that the orcs live in, right? And you know the players are going to go in there. I don't at least consciously think what can I put in here in this cave system that will let players like use their special abilities or or their powers or whatever like that. I mm-hmm. tend to think, how would the orcs set up this environment? Uh, you know, maybe with the knowledge that roving adventurers will occasionally try to smash the door down and come in. And players do end up showing off, but it tends to be more in finding unexpected ways to use their defining powers Hmm. uh, rather than saying, than having a scene given to them that I guess calls out to them to use those powers. So I hope I'm not mischaracterizing what you say. I'm not saying that you would spoon feed you know players these <laughs> scenarios that they don't have that there's one obvious solution to but that's how i approach it i guess so how how by contrast do you set up an encounter so you're doing you're doing a, a network of caves with some orcs in it what do you start thinking about um just as a tangent i'm thinking about like dr wiley from the Mega Man games and how <laughs> how all those stages are designed to both challenge Mega Man but allow him to get through it yeah. right like you know he um Flash Man or like D and D Man or whatever could have his stage just be a bunch of spikes that Mega Man could not make <laughs> make his yes. way yes, exactly. way across. But instead, there's these like perfectly you know positioned platforms and things like that that he can he can make his way through and just you know decimate the army and go and defeat the Robot Master. <laughs> yes, those sorts of things. Um, but I mean, I, I would say I, I listening to you talk about the hist- like history of it a little bit. I am wondering if this is more of a video gamey thing, right? Because video games definitely do. Do you play a bit with that power fantasy of like, well, you have a shield bash and just, you know, all these enemies, they can all be hit by a shield bash, you know, those yep. sorts of things where there's very much a, a one-to-one of like, you have this, this ability and this is the problem that you can solve with that ability, right? Like yep. and you're just going back and forth like that quite a bit. So I'm wondering if that's one of those things that has bled back over into sort of modern D&D, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of video games even while we were chatting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the downside of it is, and maybe you've played video games where this has happened. If you mm-hmm. put all your points into the shield bash skill for your character, and then the whole next 
section of the game has like all enemies that that does nothing <laughs> yes then, <laughs> yes then yeah. you sort of hate the game and yourself and uh yeah yeah i i mean in in a role-playing game there's maybe more opportunities to salvage a situation like that than in a mm-hmm. video game but your point is taken and yeah i was kind of thinking about this in terms of video games too if i can make some generalizations here it, it feels to me like the difference a bit between yeah like a game where uh, you're say you're in a video game and you know it's like press x to use your your cool lightning mm-hmm. attack versus a game that sets out a scene with no uh, special consideration as to what you're bringing to it. My ideal is kind of the Skyrim Fallout open world type games where the memorable gameplay experiences come from there not being a particular approach that is uh, really rewarded, but rather Hmm. making it as open as possible for players to just creatively use their skills and talents to crack it open. I yeah. realize I'm I'm making kind of an unfair contrast because I don't think you were suggesting that in D&D you do the like, okay, now everyone press X to use your lightning power and you win. You know, I, I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that's how it goes. But. Yeah, I think uh, maybe a, a little bit of a corollary to this. And I totally get what you're saying is like you, you're not, it sounds like you are, you're not designing your encounters with specific solutions in mind, like necessarily. And then you're allowing yourself to be surprised by what the players come up with. I think something that's related to this, and this is actually another topic on the table that I'm, I just sort of glanced at, but is the the rule of cool, right? Is yeah. this sort of concept of, well, like, oh, that's a really neat idea that could really play well into your character concept and all that. And maybe like there isn't exactly a, a ruling in the Dungeon Master's Guide for this, but let's just go ahead and you can try it. You know, that that sort of thing, because it's just like, oh, well, that would be very fun. That'd be very cool if this actually happened. Yeah. If you did do that that crazy trick shot where you bounce the arrow off of a corner and like it yeah, went through two orcs <laughs> at the same time. But going back to like a question that you asked me a little bit, like, so how, how would I design a session like that? I think for me, this often comes across a little bit more in like in role-playing specific encounters r- rather than combat ones. And like we've, we've talked about at length, like I'm not great at running combat, but like, I feel like I have a, a little bit of a better handle on role, the role-playing <laughs> parts of it. But like what I will often do, and this I think is a really simple, simple way is like within shops and stuff, you have items that are are tantalizing to specific players because they, because you sort of know their play style and you know that they might be really interested in this, this sort of thing to amplify their, their character's personality. And so, uh, an item that I just like love putting in front of certain players is the, the cloak of billowing from Mm. 5e. (laughs) So it's just a very dumb little cloak. You snap your fingers and it billows behind you. You snap again and it stops billowing. Like for certain players, like that just completes their character concept. If they can just get that <laughs> that cloak, <laughs> yes. like it's great, and they can use it all the time, and it's like super fun, right? And that's like that's an opportunity to allow them to, to kind of show off. That's a very minor example. Yeah, you know, and there's another level on which I think even the most cranky uh, old schooler like myself is definitely trying to give players the opportunity to show off, even if we're not saying it in exactly those words. Yeah. And that is like kind of on the more meta scale, like how you just design the the general types of adventure and the, the general themes of the campaign. I mean, if half of your players have designed rangers and druids and woodland people, and then you don't let them uh, play in those kinds of environments that are favorable to their characters. I mean, 
sure you could still have fun but why are you doing that and you probably should have told them <laughs> this is a city campaign and you won't see yes. a piece of greenery throughout this entire campaign so yeah i mean there's there's certainly times whether you call it letting your players show off or just taking the obvious cues of the kind of game and the kind of encounters and the kind of you know situations mm-hmm. players want to be in and molding your campaign, at least bending your campaign in that direction, even if you don't overhaul it mm-hmm. completely in response to player interests. You know, I think yeah. everyone does that. And if you don't, you know, I mean, I guess I hope you're having fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> but yeah. you, your players might be a little annoyed with you. But yeah, you might want to have a serious conversation with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this um, this is remind me, it's something that I used to do. I haven't done it in a while. Um, I called them with a cheesy name for it. it was like level three stories or something like that so when players would hit level three which in 5e that's that's sort of like a big transition point um in in, in character classes and stuff yeah when they'd hit level three i would try to design a little a little encounter or a little something that would allow them to to use their new abilities and or spells or you know something like that you know, so like i had a rogue i think it was my wife was playing a rogue who you know, just got the second story work, you know, ability, right. Which is allows them to, to climb up, like essentially like they can climb up uh, buildings as well as they can walk. You know, I designed like a little thing where she could uh, climb a tree to save someone. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing where I had uh, another wizard who is got, um, I think like burning hands at, <laughs> at level three. And like the first time that uh, he used it, it just like, it, it erupted and like got used at like, you know, the, at, like a fifth level. Yeah. spell instead because it was like the first time you use it like you have no control over it whatsoever and it like wipes out half the forest you know those sorts of things where it's like it doesn't really matter like kind of long term to the story but it allows them to get a sense of like wow like i really had this this change that happened to my my character it can now do this 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 thing that it couldn't do before yeah. do you play any games did you run any games of the sort that let players like introduce elements to a scene or just define elements of an encounter i ask because in games like that some of that expectation of like showing show off is put on the players i feel where they have more Mm -hmm. power to say hey here's this like scene that doesn't particularly give my character any particular advantage but I am going to use whatever it is, my my fate points or my narrative um, interrupt or whatever the game mechanic of it is to introduce mm-hmm. a scene that lets me then that sets me up to do something cool. Uh, do you play games like that? Yeah, I would say like Blades in the Dark falls under that. It's been goodness like five episodes I think since we've mentioned Blades in oh, the Dark. I know, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's just say yeah. Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark. Right. Yeah, the thing that I like about Blades is there is there's a little bit more of a shared. Um, shared narrative there at least especially the way that i i would i've run it it's a lot more improv heavy it's a lot more like well is there a window here it's like yes of course there's a window there you know, th- that <laughs> yeah. sort of thing yeah you know like with D, you might have mapped out the the scenario a little bit more tightly with blades you can have a, a much more loose concept of, of what's going on sort of come up with it together based on based on what the players think they need at one point or another um and i like that style of game quite a bit i think i'm i'm sort of forever wishing that i could find a way to play D in that style yeah. <laughs> yeah i have some good ideas for for how i can make that happen that maybe i'll actually get to try sometime but yeah what about you have you played mini games that way yeah yeah some uh, i i really enjoy this and like you i often after playing a game like blades in the dark i uh, like when i when we played blades of the dark like i walked away from that not saying 
Blaze in the Dark is the best, I'm going to switch over to and play only Blaze in the Dark forever. When instead, my takeaway was, there's so much cool stuff in there. I kind of yeah. like my D&D, but I sure wish I could haul some of the stuff from Blades of the Dark over into my D&D. And that yeah. would be one of the the big ones, just the mm-hmm. um, the open, the flexibility of encounters, which you would think players might try to abuse, but in practice, they don't because mm-hmm. players are not here to be jerks, right? Like, uh, yeah, and I don't think so. It, but... Like when we played Blades in the Dark, uh, people were asking questions, they were introducing ideas, they were being creative, uh, but not in an abusive way. It was generally in a way that just made the game more interesting and fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have I have that same sense of of wanting to my D&D to be a little bit more like Blades in the Dark. There's something to what you just said about like, you know, players players aren't out to be jerks. Like, you know, like it, it can sometimes be hard for GMs to sort of give up narrative control and, you know, some mechanical troll, control for the games that they're playing, but like every time that I've posited to players like I'm not sure, why don't you tell tell me <laughs> that sort of thing, it's usually it's an additive idea, yeah. right? It's rarely like a like Oh, well, I mean, if you're going to give me any sort of control, then like uh, that big bad guy dies and I get you know, to level <laughs> yeah. 20 immediately. Yes. Right? Like no one's doing that. Like they they also want to, you know, to, to make it sort of interesting and unique. Maybe it's because we play with like adults, but. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure that's yeah, actually I is a big part of it, okay. you know. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to remember my, I'm trying to remember my junior high, high school games. And, you know, you might have gotten more of that sort of. Uh, abuse yeah. behavior but so <laughs> yeah. i wanted to ask what why is it fun for players to quote show off like mm-hmm. what is the experience that you are trying to bring about so you know one way or the other the players are going to get through the encounter you're building for them right yeah so what does it add to the game to put in you know opportunities for them to quote show off like, mm-hmm. yeah, what what do you want the players to feel? And what do you see them feeling when they get to you, when they have a power that just is perfect for the situation? What I see is the sense of, like, oh, it finally worked, right? That that moment of, like, I, I've had this idea of what I want this, this character to be able to do, and, like, it finally, everything came together, and I was able to do it. You know, and that is just a really powerful experience um i mean i think for like you've played magic the gathering yeah something that would happen to me a lot when i was younger and would still happen if i played magic now but like (laughs) when i was younger is i would get a card and i would get so fixated on like i need to find a way to get this card out into play it was often you know a card that just made no sense right like so any of the like the ancient dragons from like the legendary set um, you know, those are the sorts of things where it's like, you're probably not going to get this card out because, you know, it takes all sorts of different mana and you have to draw it at the you know right time. But then when you could play a game and you get it out and it's like, I'm going to win because I got this thing out. Like, this is this is the best. It finally worked. You know, like this whole deck that I tuned to make this happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's finally happening. Uh, so I think like that sensation happens at, you know, the role playing game table as well when you're like, oh, like I have this cool ability and I've just been trying to find a way to use it, you know, or you just remember it because there's a situation happening and you're looking at your character sheet like, oh, I can, I have, I have that thing. I can, I do have second story work. I can climb up there. Yeah. Those sorts of things. It's just, it's a really fun, fun feeling of being able to, to pull, pull off something that just seems maybe a little bit abnormal from your normal session. That makes sense. And along those lines, 
there is this tendency in a lot of the games I play to downplay the mechanics of the game. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, you would that's a fine thing, right? It's fine mm-hmm. not to be always referring to rules and stuff. But I find it satisfying. And in my experience, I think players find it satisfying. When you are prompted to employ the game's mechanics in a way that, you know, serve the story and advance um, the encounter and that lets you do something cool. Now that I think about it, an encounter designed to be open to particular player powers would be kind of a way to remind everyone, hey, we're don't forget we're playing a game. So remember to take a look at your character sheet and think through what you can do with these game mechanics to have a cool mm. effect in like the game world. You know what I mean? Otherwise, yeah. everyone ends up just kind of swinging. Sometimes, do you ever have it where even players with like a fairly wide range of abilities just end up just swinging their sword every round and yeah um so that makes me feel like a failure when that happens it's like oh i didn't give you something else to grab onto yeah it's just like you're just going to try the same thing again yeah it's like a bummer and you can see how boring it is like you know, mm-hmm. i mean not that people are not having any fun at all but like you know there is definitely that point in a lot of like it, you know happens a lot in combat where it's like oh i guess i'll just swing my sword and whenever someone says something like that it's always like oh man the most interesting yeah. thing they could think of to do with their character was just to stand there and swing their sword again. Like what, what has gone wrong here? You know? And I, yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe more intentional design of encounters to be like exploitable by certain mechanics is a way to not only let players show off, but also to kind of get everybody a little bit more involved in like the gaminess of what we're doing. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, well, we should wrap up our conversation. We've been going for, for about a half an hour. This is this is really good. This is going to be actually a lot to think about. I think I went into this thinking that, oh, I know how to do this. But now I'm like, oh, I did not know how to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I really, I just really love what you said about kind of that, like the mechanics supporting it as well. Like, and I think about like the cool times where the role has go, gone exactly right. And it's like, oh, that was, that was good because we were, we weren't just like spitballing just to let it happen. Like it happened sort of like within the shared agreement of the game of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, I guess, is there anything that you have been watching or reading that you wanted to talk about real quick before we wrap up? Just over the last couple of years, I've been reading the expanse novels. Have you mm-hmm. heard of those? Uh, I think, I think so. Isn't there, is there a TV there's show? There's a TV one? show. I've not seen it. They're, they're based on okay. books. And these novels either are based on or kind of had their origin in a role-playing game. I'm pretty mm. pretty sure of that. It's uh, and I don't like love them. Like they they belong to that category of book that like I always enjoy reading them. Like I always I always enjoy picking up the next book in the series, but I'm never in like a hurry to read the next <laughs> one. You know, I always enjoy yeah. it and put it down. It's like this is great in like five months I'm gonna be just in the mood for this again and I'll read the next book and um yeah that series is a very gamey inspiring one which by the way has been combining with my lack of gaming to just maximize what you call <laughs> uh, the demoralization um yeah. but so if I can go off on a quick tangent here what what this has got me consciously thinking about so like whenever I read books like this at least part of my brain is always like oh wonder what it would be like to run a game in this setting, right? And so the mm-hmm. Expanse is like this very space opera setting. Whatever you thought of when I said the word space opera, it is in these books. So, uh, <laughs> uh, And it got me thinking about settings that really 
seem to invite making them game environments and settings <laughs> that no matter how cool they are, just don't like really seem to um, be asking to be played in. While I've been reading these, the Dune, the trailer for the new Dune mm, uh, yes. movie came out. The trailer looks fantastic. Like Dune is an example of a setting. I know there is a role-playing game coming out set in Dune, and there was one sort of little blip of an attempt by Wizards of the Coast to do a um, Dune RPG many years ago. But Dune is like a setting. It's an amazing setting. It's imaginative. It's interesting. But like if you said, Andy, I'm going to run a Dune role-playing game, like nope. roll like I, I would be like i don't i don't know like i i would struggle like what do i what do, what would i do in this universe and reading the expanse which is this very gamey setting and then seeing the dune trailer which is to me a very non holds very little like role-playing like appeal to me i don't and I, I don't know i guess i'm asking a question i don't have an answer but i've given i've been trying to to figure out what it is about settings that make them the sort of thing you want to explore through the medium of a game versus settings that like you enjoy and appreciate, but they really just belong best in the, their original medium. That was, yeah. uh, I'm sorry for the very wordy response. You were, you're probably just hoping <laughs> I'd say like, Oh, I'm rereading Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. I was, I was really looking for that, but <laughs> it's <inside laughs> this very philosophical question, which is, which is a good one. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So let me, so, and I realize we need to wrap up here, but, so yeah. let me uh, sum that all up with a quick question. I'm curious, is there like a particular setting or a franchise or books or movies that you love that you just could never imagine like running a game in? Oh, goodness. Or one that like seems so insanely gameable, you, you know, you don't know why it's, it's not a, a, a popular role playing game. Yeah, I mean, Dune is such a good example of something that I, I could not imagine playing, yeah. <laughs> playing a role-playing game in it. Because, like, I need to reread that book, but my main memory of it is, like, you know, you have sort of an entitled prince. There's a bunch of, like, dining room scenes where there's a lot of, like, psychological stuff happening. And then there's, like, out in the desert with <laughs> sandworms and then yeah. huge battles. And so it's just the sort of thing, like, like, I don't know how you could have an individual person who who could have have any sort of effect on that yeah. unless you are sort of some sort of demigod yeah <laughs> like yeah well think about um, c compare yeah. it to like star wars so what is it about yeah. like star wars star wars is a very gameable setting and there's been mm -hmm. many successful role-playing games set in the star wars universe what is it about star wars where you watch it and you're like oh man there's so many stories to be told in this universe besides the mm -hmm. the main plot line i can't wait to get out my game books but you read Dune, which is also a really big setting with lots of factions and aliens and mm -hmm. and machinations, and yet mm -hmm. you don't. You, and no one is like, "Oh, I've got to like, I've got to write this up for D and D." Yeah, as you were talking, I remembered like, we watched an episode of The Expanse and liked it quite a bit. It just we had a baby at the time, right? So it was, <laughs> it was hard to get into anything. Yeah, but um, like there, there's something about the the density of normal people. Hmm. Going back to what I was saying in in both Star Wars and The Expanse and some of these other other settings that that makes it where you can sort of you could see yourself fitting in there and and blending in outside of the heroes. Hmm. So like with the Middle Earth game, for example, like thinking about Lord of the Rings, like it'd be hard to envision yourself being like Aragorn playing in a role playing game in a Lord of the Rings Middle Earth style setting. 
But like you could see yourself being like a hobbit, yeah. you know, like on the side, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, yeah. So I think there, there's, there's gotta be something to like the, the ability for like a normal person to exist and have agency in those worlds to be able to see yourself in them as well. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, do you ever mm-hmm. meet like a, like a bartender in the Dune universe, you know, or just a, a regular person, yeah. like, you know, everybody <laughs> I think, is like the yeah. faded scion of some kind of yeah. legacy, yes. right? Yeah, the bartender would be there to like die because it had to teach Paul some sort of lesson. <laughs> That's right. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm uh, uh, I'm very sorry yeah. for hijacking your innocent softball question uh, <laughs> and uh, getting all weird with it. Can I? No, uh, that was good. Now, having uh, having done that, can I turn that around and ask: Have you been mm-hmm. watching, reading, uh, listening to anything <laughs> uh, gamey lately? Yeah, uh, so so two things. Um, we started Lovecraft Country, which is just phenomenal. Oh, I haven't started uh, it yet, but yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, it's good. Um, we're again baby, so we're only one episode in. Um, but we'll we'll get caught up. It's great. I loved that novel, and I think this this adaptation is probably going to be better than the novel. Um, I can see that. I, I love the book too, and I could see a good uh, film version actually being a better way to tell the story. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, uh, Matt Ruff, I think that's his name. The author is great. Um, he's also white. I think the, the direction that they're taking with the, at least the TV show, I think a lot of the, the creative people behind it are actually black. Um, so I think there's just, just sort of a better sense of what the story can kind of mean mm-hmm. that's coming across. Um, yeah, so it's, it's fantastic. Um, so that's really good. And then the other show that we've been watching a lot is, uh, it's called Taskmaster. So it's this British oh, panel TV never heard show. Of it, uh... You might like it. Okay. <laughs> you might not. I don't know. It's so it's uh it is it's two comedians um who who are the one's the taskmaster and one's the assistant and they set these sort of these really weird tasks for a bunch of other comedians to do. So it'll be stuff like, you know, take this bowl of lemons and stack them up as tall as you can. You have thirty seconds, your time starts now. Right. And so then you watch these comedians separately try to figure out a way to stack up lemons. You know, and it's like these really just sort of like fun challenges that you watch and you're like, oh, I could do that. Like, I could totally do that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So it has that good sense of like you you yelling at the TV. But then it's also, you know, delightful comedians yeah. you know, doing these ridiculous tasks as well. Have you seen um, have you seen yeah. videos of like some of these ridiculous like Japanese game shows? Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's very similar. To Western that. media yeah. is slowly just catching up to japan as far as like what makes for compelling tv yeah Yeah. so we we've been watching a lot of taskmaster because it's kind of the perfect like you can kind of half wash it watch it show while you're tending to a baby um but the the thing that i really like about it and that i've been thinking about it with in terms of games is just like how how low the stakes have to be for people to get invested in a problem or a puzzle right like you don't have to give people much other than a little bit of competition for them to to just like yes i need to figure out a way to throw that potato in that hole. <laughs> like, you know? yeah or to yeah like make the big, big biggest explosion or like you know these, these sorts of things that are just like they're they're ridiculous but like you give a little bit of meat to it and people want to try it so I decided I needed to watch this show, and it's because you said you mentioned figuring out how to throw a potato in the hole. Like I, yes. that just yeah. sold me. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. stop recording here in a second. And I'm going to Google how I can watch <laughs> Go it. Go track it down. Yeah, it's really good. I would I would recommend it to anyone who likes um, like 
British comedy, right? Like, so you, you can kind of self-select there <laughs> pretty easily. So are you but, going to, the real question is, are you going, are there any challenges in there that you are going to like thinly disguise and just plop into a D&D game? Probably. I, there is a non-zero chance I will run a, like a Taskmaster based one shot <laughs> at some point, just cause it's, it's too much fun. <laughs> yes, that sounds great. Yeah. The wizard will surrender, but only if you can get this potato into that hole. <laughs> <laughs> no it won't even be that it'll be more like the wizard has summoned you to this competition <laughs> yeah i think um, i know what both of us are going to wind up running for halloween whether we want to yes or not. yeah <laughs> yes a fun house of, <laughs> of terrible challenges okay well uh we do need yeah. to wrap up here um yeah but uh chris has been really fun discussing this with you yeah. and i hope for both of our sakes that uh we can get a little bit of gaming going in some uh, way shape or form in the next couple of weeks so we can check yes. in uh, in two weeks and see how e- each of us is progressing along that quest uh, yeah but it, the silence will be deafening if there's no <laughs> yeah if we don't mention it just uh you'll have your answer dear listeners uh, yeah <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening we really appreciate it um yeah if you are listening and you want to reach out please do we love to hear from people um it, it makes our day so uh yeah i've been chris Salzman. i've been andy Rao. and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm 